0: You're listening to The Local Maximum, episode 5.
1: Instead of updating the protocol from scratch every time, we should just build a programming language that is kind of baked into the blockchain so that anyone can can build anything without having to ask permission from the maintainers of the blockchain themselves.
0: Time to expand your perspective. Welcome to The Local Maximum. Now here's your host, Max Clark. November November of 2017 was not a good month for the cryptocurrency company Parity. Uh, because of an accident, because of a bug in their software, $280 million of their users' money had been locked away forever, essentially destroyed. Talk about crisis communication. I don't want to be the guy in charge of that. Uh, now, this money... This value was stored in the cryptocurrency Ethereum. Ethereum is one of the most important new cryptocurrencies out there. It's currently number two to Bitcoin, and it's been so for a while, and its importance can't be understated. Ethereum specializes in decentralized smart contracts. And before you glaze over, these are essentially computer programs that run on the Ethereum network, and once they get going... Uh, they can't be shut down. There's no company to go to. There's no refund. There's no court. It's just code. Now, all of these things I mentioned can be written into the code. You can have, you know, uh, ways of, you know, say having a bunch of people who are, um, you know, having someone able to override or two people being able to outvote one, and so on and so forth. But all code has bugs, and in the case of parity, that bug that mistake led to a very large and total financial loss. And if you had just heard that, and the media love to sensationalize these stories, uh, you're the type of, and uh, if you're the type of person with no sense of curiosity, no sense of adventure, then you might say, well, why would I want to deal with this kind of thing? Why should people fool around with something so dangerous? But that's the thing. If you look at all of the great innovations in history, most of them have been extremely dangerous to handle at first, uh, but unlocked tremendous value and tremendous potential in the end. I mean, let's start with something basic. Let's start like when human learns how to handle fire or when the first person figured out how to domesticate animals. You know, it wasn't like a cute little puppy. It was a ferocious wolf and someone's like, okay, well, you know, we're going to have to... Uh, live with this thing and uh, see if that, see how that works out. Um, I'm sitting right here about a mile from the Brooklyn Bridge that opened in 1883. The chief designer of that bridge died from being injured while working on the bridge, and that bridge is still operational today. Um, now, in this particular accident at Parity, uh, it's very mild by comparison. Nobody got hurt. Uh, Actually, no wealth was lost at all. No buildings burned down. No knowledge was lost. No physical products were destroyed. Uh, In fact, Ethereum just got a little bit more rare because of the incident. So you can say that the wealth was actually transferred uh, from the owners of these wallets to the owners of Ethereum in general. So this wasn't the first time there has been a smart contract accident. If you don't believe me, look up the DAO, D-A-O. And it won't be the last time there's been a smart contract accident. But with each step, the people working in this space are figuring out best practices and are getting better and better at it. And eventually, in the next decade, I believe, we're going to see some incredible consequences of their work. You know, uh, people were very skeptical of Cryptocurrencies several years ago. They still are. Uh, people said that nobody would understand cryptocurrencies. Well, I don't think. I think people still don't understand it, but they're just more used to it existing. Remember one time people assumed that you had to be a technical wizard to use the internet. If you look up one of those, uh, there's an old interview of I think it was David Letterman with Bill Gates, and he he treated like. You know, going on the internet is oh, you're some technical wizard because you can access a website. Not that Bill Gates is a technical wizard, but you know, uh, they, they treat it like if if you wanted to like you know uh, own a modem and get a modem working, that was uh, that 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 was uh, you know required you to be some kind of a, a technical wizard. So I want to shed some light. Onto what's going on in cryptocurrency today. And to that end, I'm going to talk to Christian Lundqvist. And specifically, we're going to talk about Ethereum and Bitcoin and smart contracts and some of the applications that are going to be coming out of that Um, and that will change the world. Now, there's a lot of noise in this space, in case you haven't noticed. And there's a lot of people who will get on YouTube and basically say anything. Some are great and some are not so great. Uh, But this is someone who is actually working in the space and actually understands it inside and out. You can always turn on the TV and hear from a professional pundit. They, They sound nice, but you'd be lucky if they're right as often as a broken clock. Now, I've known Christian for several years. He's been right on just about everything. So I'm really glad that he agreed to come on the local maximum and try to help us understand what's going on with Bitcoin and Ethereum. Christian started his career as a mathematician doing research in algebraic geometry, followed by a deep dive into quantitative finance, developing and implementing derivatives pricing models at Bloomberg. After venturing down the Bitcoin rabbit hole, he discovered Ethereum and joined Consensus. Christian has worked on a diverse set of projects within Consensus and is now mainly focused on the identity system Uport. When not in the blockchain world, Christian enjoys scuba diving in the waters of the Northeast U.S. Hi, Christian. Welcome to the program. Thanks so much. Uh, Thanks for coming out here and to uh, talk to me about Bitcoin and Ethereum today. Cool. Yeah. I'm uh, glad to be here. When did you first hear about Bitcoin? I'm sure it was before Ethereum existed. Was there a period of time when you'd heard of it and you were ignoring it or you're skeptical? And then what changed your mind about it?
1: Yeah. So... There wasn't actually a that long a period where I was skeptical about Bitcoin. So, so I first heard about it in a uh, podcast, actually.
0: We could be introducing people to it the same. No, I'm pretty sure everyone's heard of it by now. But, uh, <laughs> we could be we could be converting people today in the very same way.
1: Yeah, maybe. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. So anyway, th- this was a podcast on uh, NPR, I believe. And they were talking about Bitcoin and how it was used by people buying drugs, basically. And so, so I heard right, it's about. it's the old;
0: it's only for for drug dealers yes. type of a line.
1: This was a podcast called uh, Planet Money, and oh yeah, I it, listen to that. Sure.
0: Yeah. So, so I was, I was. I'll, put, I'll link to it in the show notes page.
1: Yeah, I was generally interested in the idea of money itself and so that's why i was was interested in this podcast and so on and they talked about bitcoin and how people were using it to buy drugs and it seemed kind of funny to me because it the the closest thing that i thought about was something like uh, world of warcraft gold which is some digital form of currency and when i got home i think the same day or a couple days later I was like, oh yeah, this this Bitcoin thing sounded interesting. So why don't I download the white paper and read it from you know from the author? And after having read the white paper, then it was kind of this light bulb moment. Like, wow, this is something extremely powerful and and new, and you know this has the potential of becoming. Uh, quite a big thing
0: yeah world-changing i you know i think we're all pitched all the time on such and such is going to be the next big thing and you kind of get jaded after a while when everybody says hey read this thing it's it's going to be the next big thing so i think it's um you know in theory you're like oh okay i i read this paper and and i was converted but in practice it's actually a lot harder to pick out the interesting new technology than than you would think because there's so much false promise out there for a lot of things i think that's why people are skeptical
1: yeah yeah I, I agree with that and and it's interesting because for a long time i've been like interested in technology and the future and and all this but when i read the bitcoin white paper it was really like wow this this just came out of left field i i hadn't been exposed to these ideas before so for me it was it was something completely new even though looking back these ideas have have had quite a long history but but for me personally it it was just this new thing and so that was also one of the reasons why I was like wow this is this is cool
0: yeah me too it's interesting that you know you first came in touch with it from a it sounded like a skeptical podcast they were saying how it was only being used for illicit reasons i mean i first came across it or no i was first converted <laughs> When I read an article in the New York Times by Paul Krugman, I think it was labeled the Unsocial Network. And it was, I I felt like his arguments against it were so bad. I was like, screw this. Uh, But I I have right here um, the book of Satoshi. But basically it's uh, all of Satoshi Nakamoto's emails and writings about Bitcoin in the early days. And he's actually, assuming that it's uh, a single person, he's actually a really good writer. So I can imagine, you know the white paper being, there are a lot of white papers going out now where you read it and you're like, I, you, you could get through the first paragraph. God, I don't understand what this is talking about. This is actually, he's actually a good writer and you can actually, under and I think that's part yeah, of the reason why and, I was able to get it all. He was the one able to get it off the ground. I think there were a lot of ideas around this that were swirling around at the time. Um, I think it made a difference.
1: Yeah, no, it's, uh, it was, it was very good and it's, it's pretty short. I mean, I think it's like, 10, 12 pages or something like that. So it's a good read.
0: Yeah, now one of the buzzwords that comes up a lot is blockchain. Um, and people say, oh, we're going to use blockchain for this, blockchain for that. And it kind of warps your mind a little bit. You're like, okay, well, what does that even mean? You came up with this trick, or at least, I don't know if you came up with it, but you've been popularizing this trick where if uh, somebody in conversation uses the word blockchain, blockchain, Then you exchange the word blockchain for database because, and that's worked out well for me because it's essentially, uh, we all understand what a database is for. It's to hold data and, uh, you know, to hold your information. And a blockchain is just a a database that has some really special properties. You know, it's decentralized. You can't hack it. Um, Where'd you come up with that uh, trick?
1: Yeah. So I I don't really want to take credit for that. I don't (laughs) remember where I... I said it. I mean, where I originally got it from, but it's just one of those things that been used as a tool to to think about these things. Because in the whole concept of blockchains, really comes it, it has a long history in uh, uh, distributed systems and and basically distributed data bases and, and networks. So uh, I, th- I think it's it's kind of a natural thing to think about, and it's it's also it also helps a lot, I think, when thinking about um, things like Bitcoin. Because in popular media, people only th- talk about it in, in terms of money and uh, sending money, etc. And with that framing, it's, it's hard to get a grasp of what it actually is. But I, but I think thinking about it as a database with, with the accounts and balances and then, okay, this is a database that's shared and replicated, then I think you, you get a much more clear idea of what it actually is.
0: Yeah, people come to us at, at Foursquare all the time and they tell us, well, you have these swarm coins, why don't you put those coins on the blockchain? And we sort of think, well, okay, you know, what do, what do we get out of it? <laughs> Nobody's ever been able to answer that <laughs> yet, other than a lot of spam, because if they actually have value, then everybody's going to be spamming Foursquare. <laughs> uh, and we're not necessarily prepared for that. but uh, I think we're going to get more into more into that in a minute like what the potential uh, use cases for this technology are uh, and where it's going in the future because sure. I think that's what my uh, that's what I'm interested in I think that's what my audience is interested in that's why they're listening to this podcast. So now you work for a company called, consensus is that right yep what does consensus
1: do so consensus is a uh we sometimes call it a venture production studio okay where we uh incubate um projects around specific blockchain or uh, mainly ethereum use cases and then these these projects Uh, hopefully grow and turn into their own businesses, which can then be spun out to independent entities.
0: Right. So you started out looking at Bitcoin and you said, Ethereum, that's an interesting one too. Now, I want to make it clear, that's two big hits on your part because there are all these coins coming out. People ask me, how many coins are there? How many cryptocurrencies are there? And I'm like, I don't know like thousands infinite you know but they're really only a few that matter and I know you spotted ethereum even before it was launched as this is going to be an important one how did when did you first see the plan for ethereum and what about it did you find so compelling as compared to all the other coins that were coming out even at the time
1: yeah so I, w- I was working in Bitcoin in 2013 so yeah. I, I was Dabbling in some open source um, development around Bitcoin, like I, I created my own Bitcoin wallet and so on. And one of the libraries I used was uh, created by uh, Vitalik Buterin. Okay. And he he later on uh, went on to to create Ethereum.
0: So wait a minute, how, say that again. One of the wallets you used was created by Vitalik. So, and Vitalik was what, nine at the time? <laughs>
1: how, how old was know, he? I, I, think he was, I think he was nine, 18 or 19. He was 18, okay. At, at the time. Um, so he had a, a Bitcoin uh, library. That's, that's pretty impressive. Called, uh, yeah, yeah, called um, Pi, uh, Pi Bitcoin Tools, I believe. Yeah. Um, and so I used this for, um, for my own... Um, wallet that I created. Yeah, and so I was kind of in touch with him, and through this project, and so that's that's why I knew that that he was also working on uh, on Ethereum. And so the the thing about Ethereum that really interested me was that he was looking at other projects in the Bitcoin space. So there so there was this uh, this notion of uh, Meta protocols on top of Bitcoin. So one of them is uh, Mastercoin, for instance. So Vitalik was was wor- working on Mastercoin. Yeah. Uh, What's
0: a meta protocol?
1: So it's it's basically a protocol that takes underlying um, Bitcoin transactions and encodes um, other, let's say, um, operations in those transactions.
0: Gotcha. So it's not just, so the main function that you could do with a Bitcoin is you could make transactions, right? You can send some value to somebody else's wallet, but there are other other things you could put in the transactions, for example, you could put a message in there and what you're talking about is doing even more complicated things with those transactions.
1: Yes, exactly. And that's what so, you mean
0: by a meta protocol, kind of like a, a language.
1: Yeah, so w- one of the things that people were experimenting with early on was to basically put a, let's call it a tag on a, on a Bitcoin transaction, or uh, people also use the word color. Right. So,
0: I remember that phrase, colored coins.
1: Yes, exactly. So this is a way to create other coins on top of Bitcoin by using like a little tag inside the the uh, transactions. So all these projects were, they're were very interesting, but they were always limited by the fact that the Bitcoin protocol was not created for this specific purpose. And so Vitalik was, his view was that we should create a blockchain where we integrate basically a general-purpose programming language, so that we can, on top of the Ethereum protocol, create any type of uh, of construct. Because the the way that this had been done in in uh, in Mastercoin, for instance, was that, okay, you have one uh, one specific function is this colored coins, for instance. Another type of function is and let's call it an exchange functionality where you can exchange these, these colored coins for, for each other. Okay. And then maybe you have uh, other ones, but every time you create a new function, you have to update the protocol from, from scratch. Right. And so, so Vitalik's view was that instead of updating the protocol from scratch every time, we should just build a programming language that is kind of baked into the blockchain so that anyone can can build anything without having to ask permission from the maintainers of the blockchain themselves.
0: Yeah. Now, did did he was there ever a plan to do this with Bitcoin itself, or did they realize they had to make a new coin?
1: I think the original, like his original um, goal, I believe. Uh, I'm not gonna put words into his mouth, but from what I remember, it he he wanted to improve on the tools like Mastercoin, etc. But it just proved too, um, too difficult. Hmm. So it was. that's why he decided to do like this clean slate approach and make the protocol include this type of programming language yeah. uh, from scratch. Okay, yeah.
0: so we've already established, we've got Bitcoin, where you've got transactions of value. And uh, there are some things that you can do with these transactions other than just sending value. And we have Ethereum where you could also have wallets where you send value, but there's a lot more that you can do with it. So it seems like there's a lot of overlap between these two coins. And so I think what people want to know is, can you give some specific examples of different things that people would want to do with either Bitcoin or Ethereum and why you would choose one over the other?
1: Um, That's a good question. So I think if you only want to send value, then... Bitcoin is a is a good choice for that. And so one, one thing that in my mind differentiates Bitcoin and Ethereum is their architecture and also the kind of philosophy by the by the different developers. So so Bitcoin is a simpler protocol and okay. that also means that uh, it's arguably more robust. It's been battle-tested for longer, um, whereas Ethereum is quite fluid and nimble in, in its uh, um, development community. So you have you have a lot of developers building on the project uh, on on top of the protocol, um, but you also have the the Ethereum core developers are uh much more willing to experiment and uh, and add new features and so so this is kind of a a um philosophical difference a little bit like you can uh you can argue that it's still early days so it makes right. sense to do a lot of experimentation and so on whereas um a lot of Bitcoin proponents are are saying, like, Bitcoin is supposed to be this, like, sound money. It's and, the rock
0: solid and, gold of yeah, uh, cryptocurrency. like,
1: like the, the, the digital gold and so on. And so yeah. it, it should do one thing and do one thing well. And, yeah, I, I think there's, there is there's definitely room for, for both of those philosophies and, and technologies.
0: Yeah. You know, a lot of people have criticized uh, the Bitcoin community because... Uh, in recent years, it's been sort of difficult to do very small, frequent transactions. I think they're going to get there. I think they have a lot of second-layer solutions coming down the pipe that are going to solve this eventually. People don't understand this is a... Uh, I think this is like a two-decade project to <laughs> rein, reinvent the monetary system of the world. And We're right in the middle, smack in the middle of those two decades, but uh, I think the interesting stuff kind of happens at, at, towards the end of the process. Um, yeah, I agree. But let me let me ask you a question. You've been working in Ethereum for a while now. What are some of the most compelling projects that you've seen so far uh, when it comes to Ethereum? What do you think is really going to be a, a game changer?
1: Yeah, so that's, that's a great question. So I guess I start with the projects that I'm working on myself. So, so at Consensus, I'm spending most of my time working on a uh, project called Uport, it's a um, digital identity system. And so the, the basic idea there is that um, currently identity systems are either um, siloed in apps so in one app you have a username and password and that's your identity for that app right in another app you have another username and password and, and they yeah. don't talk to each other
0: and then in practice so, I just say forgot password exactly
1: so, so that's that's the that's the other thing that you can use uh, something like Google or Facebook to to log in to sites and right. now we have one form of interoperability but it's all owned and controlled by by a single entity, and that's you know that that's not good for uh, for many use cases. Like you 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 don't want to have, let's say, uh, a country using Facebook for their uh, national voting, yeah. for instance. Um, yeah. So or what, some
0: individuals might not want to rely on Facebook if they don't have to. Yeah, exactly. Google.
1: So what what uh, these Blockchain-based identity systems. Uh, the promise of that is to have, is to have the the blockchain as like a core trust layer that can um, ideally replace things like certificate authorities as a uh, as a root of trust, and then use that to have very um, very interoperable identities that can still be owned and controlled by the individual. So similarly to how, how a Bitcoin can be owned and controlled by an individual, these t- types of identities can be owned and controlled by, a, by an individual. So th- there are still many questions around scaling and, and so on. And so so it's still early days, but but I'm excited about the potential of that. Do you
0: think one of the things that, that I had to learn is how to safely... Um, safely keep your private keys, your information. Is that something that, you know, we're going to have to, <laughs> the, the world is going to have to kind of be retrained on, where we have this weird thing right now where we sort of memorize our passwords, we write them down all over the place and hope for the best. And then sometimes they get hacked and we change our passwords. I feel like if we did move over to a thing where you have like, you know, your private keys in a safe that, you know, generate Uh, That generate passwords and if one gets hacked you can create another one I feel like it's a better solution overall but it's it would be hard to get everyone to do this properly
1: yeah I I think that's a great point I think it's one of the uh, most difficult problems in in the cryptocurrency space right now is this idea that um, you use these private keys which are basically very long passwords um, you use them to interact with the blockchain, but if I have a Bitcoin that's controlled by a private key and I lose that key, then now I've I've lost um, control over that Bitcoin. So, right. um, and I think this that's, this yeah. is something where we're gonna have to have um, a lot of work on user experience and things like. Key recovery systems, which is something that that I think a lot about, and and a lot of other people in the space think about, but it's it's still very early days for that.
0: Yeah. Did you have another example?
1: Uh, yes. So one project that I'm very excited about, it's called um, Gnosis. So it's a uh, prediction market. Okay. And uh, so this is this is the idea that you can make a uh, basically a bet about a future event. And if that event occurs, then you get say $1. And if it doesn't occur, you you get nothing. And this, this is an extremely uh, interesting mechanism for basically, so this allows you to surface information about future events. And I, I feel like it's one of those things that is going to have massive potential that we might not be able to see right now once these kinds of systems.
0: uh, Yeah. Well, there's massive, if I'm right, isn't there um, mass, aren't there massive legal hurdles to doing prediction markets, at least in the United States? So the industry hasn't exactly been taken off if you want to create your own prediction market, centralized one, um, but perhaps a decentralized one would work. It's also a very hard problem technically because prediction markets can be manipulated very easily, right? But the one that you're looking at, you're saying it has mechanisms where uh, it can't be manipulated very easily.
1: Um, I think depending on the markets, they are easier or harder to manipulate. So you need to have robust uh, what's called uh, oracles, which are basically uh, ways of uh, inserting information into the blockchain from trusted parties. Right.
0: So if I bet on a sports game and I have an Ethereum contract that says, you know, depending on who wins the game, uh, somebody is going to get get the money. There either has to be some judge or referee that decides or some, you know, organization that says, OK, we, uh, we got the information about the game. Here's the answer. Or you can come up with some other solution that doesn't rely on a single individual, but you don't want a situation where somebody can bet on the thing that doesn't happen and then manipulate it so that it says the thing that didn't happen happened.
1: Yeah, yeah. No, that that's true. And those things will be challenges for uh, for prediction markets. So you, you have some rare situations when the information you're betting on is inside the system itself. So we had an example of that where where we could bet on... Basically, uh, mining difficulty. That's something that that the Ethereum system itself can uh, uh, can know about. Right. And so it okay. So, so that's it's something like
0: a, internal to the Bitco- to the Ethereum ecosystem.
1: Yes. Exactly. Um, so anyway, so the goal is to build these systems in a flexible way so that you can have multiple oracles and and uh, you know have uh, use you know, things like weighted averages between them or, or you know, Panel. different ones from different markets and so on. Yeah, that, that's something I'm very excited about. Yeah. Uh, and, so, and some, that, other, some other yeah. projects also, which are kind of like more on a meta level, is, yeah. is the various uh, scaling projects. So one which I'm very excited about is called Truebit. It's a way to basically do large uh, and costly computations Which you can then uh, post the result to ethereum and other people can uh, basically challenge that result if they believe that it's wrong and then the uh then you can have like a challenge game which can be computationally efficient and this challenge game can then uh, check if the if the person uh, who were doing the competition, if they cheated or not. Uh, so
0: trust but verify.
1: Yeah, exactly. So uh, and you have things like uh, state channels. There's a lot of interesting work on this. So this is similar to the um, the Lightning Network on Bitcoin. Yes. Yeah. It's, it's these payment well, let's, channels. Uh, let's,
0: um, let's so I talked about Bitcoin uh, nowadays how uh, transactions can be expensive and how. Um, you know, sometimes these transactions take a long time to go through because the network is getting very crowded. And so mm-hmm. just to clarify for the audience, the Lightning Network is one of those second layer protocols that is designed to make Bitcoin really fast, like for these um, for these small, frequent transactions. Am I right about that, basically?
1: Yeah, that's yeah, and, that's yeah. correct.
0: And there's been some criticism about the well, there has been like a huge fight between Bitcoin and uh um, you know, uh, there's the fork Bitcoin Cash, who's, and tell me if I'm wrong, Who the people who are behind Bitcoin Cash believe that all the scaling should be done on the blockchain, on the first layer blockchain itself, right?
1: Um, yeah, I don't really... Wanna get in too much on what they may or may not say, but well I'll get what, into what, it because uh, I
0: first of all I don't I don't mind if I create a little controversy and people yell at me. <laughs> ah, but uh yes. <laughs> no, I Generate I think some outrage. Yes. I, I I'm more bullish on the Lightning Network because, you know, having been an engineer for uh, all these years, I think that the multi-layer solution is just something that comes up as the best solution time and time again. Have I actually looked into how these things work? Have I looked at the code? No, I haven't. I'll admit, it's just my uh, my senses tell me that the that the lightning approach is probably the better one.
1: Yeah, I I, uh, I agree. Basically, the main idea about the lightning network is that you can basically do transaction by passing. Uh, Signed messages between the participants, and as long as everyone agrees and are honest, then you don't have to use the uh, uh, the blockchain. But if a conflict arises, like if you're supposed to pay me a hundred dollars and then you don't do that, I can basically take our signed transactions and post them on the blockchain, and the blockchain can then uh, mediate this. Yeah. So,
0: but you don't need like the full power. Like if you're buying a cup of coffee.
1: Yeah, exactly. And, yeah. and I think that's that's okay. something that that people are more and more realizing that the, the blockchain is very powerful, but the more you can avoid using it, the better. And in this case, you even have this like game theoretical incentive for people not to cheat because they know that if they cheat, you can always go back to the blockchain later.
0: Right. Right, even at some cost, but yeah. presumably it's not going to happen very often. Uh, I interrupted you because I we mentioned Lightning Network, and I just wanted to veer off a little bit to explain what that is, but you were talking into, about it in relation to something else.
1: Yeah, so, so Lightning Network is an example of what's called a payment channel. Right. Um, so this is when, uh, when like I said, participants uh, pass signed messages related to, to payments, So in Ethereum, there's a generalized concept called the state channels. State channel, okay. Yeah. And so this is when you have, uh, you basically have smart contracts, and then you update the state of the smart contracts in a similar way by passing these messages. And there's a lot of uh, very interesting research lately around uh, these state channels. And there's even... um, there is some research where you have state channels uh, that are controlled by smart contracts, and the smart contracts themselves doesn't even exist on the blockchain. So th- there is there is this term called, uh, I love this term, it's called a counterfactual instantiation.
0: Counterfactual instantiation. Tell us what that is. <laughs> yeah.
1: So this is the... Uh, uh, this is when you have a smart contract and you use the basically the threat of creating this smart contract as a way to control the activity in one of these uh, state channels. Um, <laughs> mind exploding, you're th- not only are you
0: starting smart contracts, but you're threatening to, uh, to start. Yeah. Off.
1: It's it's, very, it's a very interesting concept. So that, that's yeah. another thing where I'm, where I'm uh, extremely bullish on.
0: Okay. So we talked a little bit about the technology. We're going to sort of make some predictions now, because um, that's an interesting thing to do. And I think it's also uh, instructive on kind of taking these very abstract ideas and sort of making them real. Um, first, before I make predictions about the future, let's talk about past predictions. What were some optimistic and pessimistic predictions about cryptocurrencies that you heard in the past and which came true and which didn't? Uh,
1: yeah. So I guess some of the pessimistic ones is that, uh, Bitcoin is going to die. Yeah. That has not really happened. Um, one which I thought was extremely optimistic was, uh, Uh, Bitcoin price is gonna reach 10,000 and everyone was saying that was kind of an example of how crazy people were when when they were saying that it sounded crazy but but now we we saw it
0: I'm always worried Uh, you know like people are like next year it's gonna be ten times as high as it is the previous year and at some point like that can't happen ad infinita yeah, <laughs> yeah. you know at some point that's gonna yeah. have to stop but i just uh, yeah i don't I, know exactly when i i, I um, would uh, and there'll be some down years too but
1: yeah yeah for sure uh another thing that i would say was a um was an optimistic assumption was that uh we're gonna be paying for everything with with bitcoin so right. that has not panned out like it's it's uh I think people are coming to realize, at least in in the, you know, in the West, that these cryptocurrencies are not really great as payment mechanisms.
0: Yeah. And if I could just use an example, there was a bodega down the street here uh, in Fort Greene where you could actually pay things with Bitcoin. I'd open up my Jack's wallet and I'd pay them Mm. and uh, they'd take it. But you know, after a few years, you realize they're using the same wallet (laughs) that they were using initially. And my like 10 bucks that i spent is still in there and you're like and if i go and ask to pay for bitcoin now that like the the cashier is like oh i don't know how to do this just give me, <laughs> you know so but uh, i think this stuff might come back at some point people might try to do it again but i think people are starting to realize that in this phase of bitcoin's development this is not the go right to the cashier phase
1: yeah and and especially now since bitcoin has pretty high transaction fees maybe with these new payment channels we'll see more of these payment use cases. But I at this point at least is is probably more more trouble than than what it's worth.
0: You know, it's interesting. So I get together with a group of people every year or so and make some technology predictions. And when it comes to cryptocurrency, that's the only one where I'm consistently I think I'm being optimistic, but I'm consistently under hitting the target. Um, At least in the short term. I don't know. Some of my long-term predictions on that were like, in 10 years, a country will adopt it. Maybe that will turn out to be too optimistic, but definitely like my price predictions or my predictions of like how fast the technology would move. Like I predicted last year that, oh, next year at this time, we'll still be at the same place in the block size debate and nothing would happen. And then immediately after that, you had two forks and lightning (laughs) networks and boom, 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 one right after another. So this moves fast. So to turn it around. So we kind of established a baseline of what it's like to make predictions and calls in this type of environment. But you, having seen the promise of Bitcoin and Ethereum early on, I think you have some credibility here. So when it comes to the next five years, maybe the next 10 years, uh, or even in the next you know month or a few years, because you probably know personally about some of that because you're building it. Uh, but what changes do you think are coming to the crypto ecosystem?
1: Hmm, Yeah, this is, very difficult question. So one of the things that I'd like to see is more of what I call uh, blockchain native, um, like uh, business models or, or applications. So what I mean by this is that I like to uh, make an analogy with the internet. Like in the in the early days of the internet, you had let's say a newspaper and you create a website and you take a PDF of your printed newspaper and you put it on the website and, and now you have like news on the internet, but it's kind of still the same as it was before. And when I, when I talk about like internet native things, that's more like Twitter, which completely changed what it means to be a news broadcaster now every single human being is a, is a news broadcaster and they broadcast news in in small snippets. So this is like an extreme deviation from the old uh news model and and it would have been hard when you saw the first kind of news website to go from there and and uh, and think what what Twitter will be like. So right. I guess I'm saying it's it's hard to uh Uh, make those predictions but one one thing I I see are these um, very (laughs) there are some very strange things that's going on people are like um, uh, tokenizing memes and like trading memes and things like that
0: the idea that comes to mind is dogecoin
1: Yes, so Do- Doge Coin is is one example, but you also have these like um, they've been around for a while. These like rare Pepe uh, cards, okay, um, and also uh, you see, let's see. So, and so th- those things are things that I I don't quite understand, and I feel are strange. But I also feel like there are some powerful things there another thing that i think will be important is this notion of the uh, attention economy which is this idea that one of the uh scarce resources that we'll see in the future is uh uh, people's attention because we're we're, uh, and that that's already the case and that's kind of what what google and facebook are are monetizing um, right now, sure. Um, but I I'm interested in seeing how um, how this attention economy and the kind of crypto economy will will merge.
0: Yeah, it's it's interesting the idea of trying to come up with a like a, a blockchain first business model. It's it almost takes a very different way of thinking. If you think about it, Twitter and Foursquare, obviously, we were you know, mobile first, and we were able to, uh, you know, figure out how the product works with mobile devices in a way that previous companies couldn't do. Uh, you do have newspapers online, like you said, but it's not the same as a news aggregating website or Wikipedia is very different than Encyclopedia Britannica online. Yeah, I think it's just gonna require a whole different set of thinking. You know, it's very hard to execute on this type of thing in the context of a company that is already uh, centralized, you know, database-based company. Which those aren't going away. But I, I, I think if we come back and have this conversation in five years, we'll have some good answers. But we don't right now.
1: Yeah. So, so in the in the more uh, in the more short term, one thing that I will that I think we'll see. Um, growing in popularity is something called a uh, token curated registries okay so this is the idea that you can have a um what's basically a, a list or a ranking that's curated by a community and that community is uh, incentivized by a uh, a token so a crypto coin basically
0: so you're building a recommender system
1: it, it's basically a, a recommendation system um, so this is this general um, this general framework was developed by uh, Mike golden who's a, he's an engineer at, at uh, consensus and uh, it's I like it because it's it's it feels like a very general um, design pattern it has a lot of uh, it makes sense from a Crypto economic perspective, like the the um, uh, the incentive of the actors are are aligned uh, in the system, but it's still uh, it's people are very excited about it, but but it's also still very early days. It it hasn't quite been tested in the wild yet.
0: Yeah, I feel like I want to build a system where people are incentivized because people want to get their content out there, and it could just be an ad. And so, well, there's a mismatch between the content that people want you to see and the content that you want to see, right? And that's why we have a mix of ads and a mix of helpful stuff, and then a mix of spam. And if there could be some kind of realignment of those incentives in a way where, okay, if I'm going to design an ad, it's worth my while to make that ad useful to people and to spend a lot of resources targeting it properly, then, you know, you can build a a news network or, or like a, a, a social network or recommendation system where the ads are delightful and you're getting the information that you want to see and you don't have to worry about the people who are posting, you know, necessarily degrading the quality of it.
1: Yeah, I, I think part of the story here also is a lot of the content that we see are filtered through the uh, the optimization algorithms of uh, google and facebook and so those optimization algorithms are uh they they're, what they're optimizing is for me to spend as much time as possible on on the site it's not necessarily
0: and, what i want
1: yeah and that's not that's not always aligned with our own incentives and yeah. so, what I'm excited about in the in the crypto ecosystem is that we might be able to build these systems, these recommendation engines, so that I have control over what it's supposed to be optimizing for. Like, I I want to, I want the things that I'm exposed to to, um, you know, increase my own understanding and, and well being and so on. Whereas this is not what's what's happening at the moment.
0: Yeah. Well, if we can. Invent that, that would be a game changer, I think. (laughs) Yeah. All right. So this is the part of the show where I let you uh, plug anything you want.
1: Yeah. So you can follow me on Twitter if you want. It's uh, Chris Lundquist. And uh, I have a website together with my uh, wife. It's called uh, whatdoesthequantsay.com. That has, I guess, not been updated so much. Uh, I also have a uh, medium account where I uh, try and publish more in-depth blog posts, mainly about the Ethereum ecosystems uh, these days. Uh, And that's at the same uh, as my Twitter account, so at Chris Lundqvist.
0: All right. Thanks. That's all going on the show notes page. You get linked for all of it. Thank you so much for coming on the show today.
1: Yeah. Thanks for having me.
0: All right. Before you head out, nobody has been able to crack The last code that Aaron sent out last week, that's 19 letters, I believe, that have been permuted, and I wanted to see if any of you guys can crack that code. You know, it'll be a lot of fun. Well, I put my weight into that, and I solved it by merging my human intelligence with the aid of my computer, the artificial intelligence. I'll tell you how I did it and more. If you can crack the code by then and check out my Twitter account for the details, then I'll mention you and your technique on the show Uh, I think I'm going to do a first next week it's going to be just me on the program I have a backlog of interesting articles and topics to discuss I'm hoping it'll turn out very well so tune in then that's the show if you want to contact me the host or ask a question that I can answer on the show send an email to localmaxradio at gmail.com this show is available on iTunes SoundCloud and stitcher if you want to keep up remember to follow the local maximum on one of these platforms and to follow my Twitter account at Maxlog have a great week and feel the power and she
1: said, I don't care what you say you're gonna see me shine